Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. People often ask me, like, why would you stop a whole service and make it awkward and just give people, like, a few people attention? So look at me. You know why we do this? Because Jesus would. For one. So if you came today and you're like, God doesn't see me, Jesus would always go away. He met the one Samaritan woman at the well. Because God set it up for the Son of God to meet a sinful woman. So we always want to be a church that's willing to go, all right, God, do you want us to go over here and spend 15 minutes in a service praying? (gasps) Yes, we'll do that. And so what I want to do before we go any farther, if you can, can you join me in prayer for the day? Like, I'm going to kneel, but you do whatever you want to do. I just want to be a body that's willing to say, hey, God, we want you more than we want dignity, more than we want a good service, more than we want anything. Can you just cry out with me that we would know God today? Can we do that? All right. So, God, we do. Stop. We want to know you. Oh, we want to know you. I don't want any other thing. I don't want a big church. I don't want a successful church. I don't want any wealth of the earth. I want you. And our hearts cry is that we might know you, the living God, that we might know Jesus Christ whom you've sent, and we might be filled of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, take this church by the hand and lead us into open pastures. You are the great shepherd of our souls. We are gathered in your name, and at the name of Jesus, sickness, sin, and death all bow. So we bow before the living Son of God and say, have your way. Teach us who we are in you. Teach us who you are in us. Help us to be fully surrendered to your work and whatever you want to do. I thank you that you see even the person in the back of the room that doesn't think that you see them. You see them. You know everything about them. And you brought them here today that they might know you. Deliver them. Break every bondage that's in this room. Anything binding your people be broken in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, God, that we're going to open up your living word And I pray that it would so provoke us, that it would so change us, that truly we would say by the end of this day that surely God is in this place. I speak blessing and life over every soul. In the name of Jesus, that they would know life, living water, streams would begin to flow right now out of hearts. Forgive us for corking up the streams sometimes, God. Uncork that part of us. May living spiritual life fill this house. May we know you are God, and may we run after you all the days of our life. Thank you for Cobblestone, God. Thank you for what you've done here over the last 20 years. Thank you, God, for what you're still doing right now in this room. We say yes, have your way, and we surrender gladly to King Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen? I'm feeling fiery today, y'all. Give me a week off, we'll go. (laughs) So I want you to open the Bible, not actually to the book of Acts, but to call a little bit of an audible. Would you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? 
you're like, but we're in the reading plan. But I was told I could do whatever I want, so I'm doing whatever I want. First Peter 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And, and really, this also came out of that time of praying for you. I began to weep. I began to be like, God, restore the weary ones. And then he's like, some of them don't know who they are. Therefore, they can't walk out what I want them to be. And so because sometimes we really, we fight God on, am I a new creation or am I still what I used to be? No, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is God and the new has come. But if you don't understand that, you'll live like the old and never walk in the new. And, you know, and I'll even tie this into the reading plan. You know why the Apostle Paul was so effective? He completely bought into the new identity that King Jesus gave him. He knew what he was. He was the chief of sinners, the one that murdered Christians and threw them into prison. And then he met Jesus. And then what was he? He was the Apostle Paul who would go anywhere his master told him to go. Some of you have encountered that, and then life slowly pulled back that zeal and I just want to stoke that zeal fire. Every staff meeting, they ask me what to pray for for me. You know what I say? And they make fun of me for it, but I don't care. Zeal, passion, and first love fire. This is what I want in my heart. I want to give Jesus everything he's worth. And last time I checked, he's worth everything. There is one thing in heaven that all of heaven is fascinated by. Do you know what it is? Jesus. They are fascinated with him. Every time the angels look at Jesus, they go, wow! And sometimes I look at Jesus and I go, I know him. I want to be fascinated with him. I want to be fascinated with you, church, at Jesus. And when he calls, we go, I'm going! And I don't care if it's hard. I don't care if it's dark. I don't care if it hurts. It's going to hurt. This life's going to suck sometimes. But you know what's always good? Jesus. So do you know who you are? So I just went on this trip, and what happens when you meet new people? You ever, you go to this, you ever, anybody like meet and greets? Any, anybody weird in this room? You, you're great. You're, you're there. These are our extreme extroverts, and everybody, all the introverts are like, I hate them so much, right? So you get into a meet and greet situation, and you shake 10 billion hands, and there's always the question like, hey, my name is Bill, nice to meet you, and then they read your name tag, it's kind of awkward, and then immediately, what do they do? What do you do? Now with me, that always gets awkward every time. Because like, what will happen is they'll be like, how the hell are you? My name is Bill. And then I'll be like, what do you do? I'm, a I'm sorry I said hell. And I'm like, I'm not keeping a tally. I'm really not. And I haven't been in church in two years. And one time, they just start listing off their sins. And I'm like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't want this. My name's Andrew. I, I'm just a guy. I have four kids. That's, that's usually where I start. Now, do you know that conversation? You ever had that conversation? What do you do? Now, when we get to these conversations, a lot of you define what you, who you are by what you do. So some of you are bankers, some of you are CPAs, some of you are farmers, some of you, you're like, that's the, no. When we come to Christ, he makes a new thing. And the problem with American Christianity is we didn't come to get a new thing. We just came to get enough to get to heaven, but God wants a new thing. And in 1 Peter 2, this is the context. You have some broken down, beaten up Gentile Christians, which I think is phenomenal that Peter, the guy that got rebuked by Paul for sitting not with the Gentiles but with the Jews, Peter writes to these Gentile Christians and tells them who they are. He goes, you remember who you are when they're beating you. You remember who you are when it gets hard. You remember whose you are. 
So I'm going to read 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10, and then I'm just going to go line by, I'm going to tell you who you are. If you are in Christ, this is who you are. And you get to walk in this, you get to live in this, even in the suck. Yes, I said suck in church. I'm sorry, mother-in-law. So, 1 Peter 2. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he's going to continue and be like your sojourners and your exiles, and so don't lose heart when things go bad to worse. Rejoice, is what he's going to say. So let's just go line by line. You, but you, but you, and I'm going to go you. He's talking to Gentiles, and he's talking to Christians. You are all Gentiles, and I think most of us in this room are Christians. You are a chosen race. Now, there's a things about race that I know. You don't choose it. You didn't choose where you were born, did you? You didn't dial up, God, God I'd like, you know, Oxford, Ohio. That's where I want to be. No one did that, right? God said, I'm choosing a people to become a whole, like when we talk about races, we're talking about like the human race, a new race, a new type, a new, per, a new perfected people that have been chosen. He often, he was like, that one and that one and that one and that one, they're going to become a new thing. And if you're in Christ, God says through Peter, you are a chosen person, a chosen people. And now you belong to something that is categorically this. He continues with, and this is the one that we struggle with, a royal priesthood. So who's Jesus? What would, I even wore the shirt. If you can't read, it says king. And when Jesus saves us, he says he adopted us and made us sons and daughters of the most high God. So royal priesthood. So we actually are related to the king of kings and the Lord of lords as adopted sons and daughters by the blood of Jesus. And Peter goes, hey, hey, I know you don't look, it doesn't look like it right now. Right now you're running for your life, Gentile Christians. And yesterday that guy punched you in the face because you were defying the Greek gods, Christian. But in God's eyes, you're a royal priest. And now we don't understand priesthood because we don't do that. And I'm really actually quite thankful I'm not skinning and cutting open animals right now. But the priesthood wasn't just, there was one high priest, but there was a boatload of priests. And they lived in the chambers around the temple, and they all had jobs. And the main thing that a priest does is he represents humanity, and he goes before God, and he offers sacrifices. That's what they did. Guess what you get to do? You get to freely come before the living God and know him and walk with him and be with him and know him and go to a hurting, broken, weary humanity and go, do you want to know him too? He'll bring life even in the worst circumstances. You are a royal priest in the house of God. Now, here's the clincher. Who felt like a royal priest this week? Who really felt like they're human every day, nine to five, Oxford, Ohio, living life, lived that? And no one wants to do it, huh? That's the problem. There's this disconnect. 
That somehow we've gone, well, no, 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 like when I come to church, well, then I'm a chosen race and a royal priest. But then out there, man, out there with the, you know, the oil and the gas prices and all that stuff, that all, no, that's where it matters. And that's where you were made to live this out and why it's such good news. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So now he's talking about a people group bought by the blood of Jesus that are chosen. And he goes, you're a royal priesthood who's going to administer or mediate between men and God. And now you are a holy nation, a people set apart for him. Now that word holy, what does it mean? Holy, holy, holy. That's the only, you get three words you get to describe God with three times and it's holy. What's it mean now, you all are called a holy, chosen people, but you don't even, we don't know what it means sometimes. On base definition, it means set apart. All roll with that. That's fine. You are set apart. Set apart for what? I'll go, set apart for who? For God. And so some of you, I mean, this is me loving you, you don't feel you are, you, you are this because you haven't set your life apart from God, for God, you've given it to the things of the earth. And I understand that. Some weeks, the world looks real appealing. Can we be honest? And people would tell you, you need a nicer house, and you got to get some more stations on that TV. And you buy into it, and then you find it doesn't satisfy. Have you set apart your life for God to use how he pleases? A holy nation is made up of holy people who have all individually said yes to Jesus. This is what you are if you've come to Christ. And the problem is, is we, we don't realize this. You, you can opt in and out of this some days. I have come to people and I've been like, God, I don't want to be a priest today. I don't want to mediate between God and people. I don't want to do that. It's too hard. I don't, I don't know the right answers. I get real awkward. You put me in a meet and greet and everyone's like, thank God that guy's not here anymore. Like, we can opt in and out of these things, but they are truths that we need to sink our souls into because he says, not only are you chosen a royal priesthood and a holy nation, you are a people for his own possession. That one's the one I love. I don't know why. I just, I think it's because I have four kids and I've talked about them a lot. I use them a lot in illustrations. I have to start being careful about that because I embarrass them. I gladly claim them. Like, I feel the emotion now. And the way, the way that God talks to me a lot is through my kids. He's like, the way that you feel about them, I feel about you. If you come after my kids, I will go, that one's mine. Get off. If a car is coming, I will run into the car. And I will die for any of my kids right now. So when God, the Father of fathers, says, those are a people, those are my people, for my possession. I get them. They're for me. I want them. That's my family. Get off my kids. It fills me with some kind of like, I understand that on this much level. A people for his own possession. He didn't just get you to be like, over there, I got a nation of people. They're holy. They're royal priests. They're a chosen race. No, no. He said, these are a people that I chose for me. I wanted them. I want to be with them. They are mine. So think about your week this week. Think about your week this week 
that the God of heaven through Jesus Christ says, those are my people. I want them for my possession. So whatever happened, that was still true, correct? Whatever hit the fan, that's still true. So now we're using the Bible to make warfare against the lies of the devil, which when that stuff happens, what's the number first thing he says? See, God doesn't care about you. See, you're one of those weird kids of God that doesn't get blessing or anointing. And I go, not today, Satan. I'm a child of God who's been chosen into the race of God's people, who's been made a royal priest, who now is a part of the possession of God. I, he has me. Are there hard days? Yeah. I have hard days. You have hard days. The most anointed, godly Christian guy you know, man or woman on TV with the blue or purple hair, they have hard days. They're just lying. So when are we, as the people of God, beginning, going to start believing God's word and going, no, this is what I am. More than I am just a 38-year-old, kind of dad-bodden, middle-aged guy, this is what I am. When are we going to take the word of God and actually, all right, God, if I am a royal priest, how do I live as one in a world like this? How do I take broken humanity and then as a priest would do, take the humanity and represent it and bring it to a holy God? How do I do that? How do I fight the thoughts, the doubt that creeps in that somehow I'm not part of God's possession? And the interesting thing is, it tell, he, Peter's going to tell them why God wants them to know this. So some of Christianity, and this is why we, we shy away from our identity a lot of times, some Christianity takes this verse and goes, wow, you're amazing. And they make it all about humans. All I see in this is the goodness of God, that he would choose you, that he would choose us, that he would possess us, that he would have us, that he would make us priests, that we get to belong to these things. Why did he do it, though? He tells us that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So let's just do testimony. Anybody really feel like they were in the dark and then they met Jesus and all of a sudden it was light? Please, everybody, raise your hand. If you're still in the dark, there's one way to come into the light, and that's through Jesus Christ, yeah? So I felt like I was just running into the dark, and I'm stubborn, so I was sprinting headlong into the dark running off walls and being like, ow, ow. And then Jesus was like, do you want to come into the light, dummy? And I was like, yeah, and I did. And now, why did he show me that I'm a son? Why did he go, you, you're mine, kid? Why? That I might proclaim the excellencies, which is the goodness, the betterness, the bestness, the, the quality, the excellent, excellent, he's best ways of Jesus. That's why it's so important. And I think, the reason a lot of us don't open our minds, or our mouths, or our minds, open our mouths to declare the excellencies is because we don't understand the first part. When I understand the love of God, and I understand the holiness of God, and I understand the priesthood of God, you can't keep my mouth shut telling everybody about how good he is. But the problem is we start looking at our problems and we start looking at us and our old life and not our new life in Jesus, and therefore we don't proclaim the excellencies. We start saying things like, just grit your teeth. Hopefully you get to heaven. 
maybe he'll answer your prayer. That is not Bible language. That's doubt flesh language. When are we going to be the people of God that step into what God actually saved us into? They'll take him at his word. That's his word. This is the Bible, right? 1 Peter 2, 9 is in the Bible. And we are Bible people, yeah? Please say yes. Yeah, we're Bible people. This is the word of God declaring over the people of God, this is what you are. And you want to go, no, 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 I'm just a car salesman. No, this is what you are. And if you bring this to the car lot, the, God, the kingdom of God and the glory of God will come out. If you do this in the middle of your house with your kids, the glory of God will inhabit your home and you will see the kingdom of God on earth. This is the whole point. We are a people set apart for a living God to come live where we are so that his kingdom might advance. But we like to sit and go, well, I'm just, the... no, this is what we are. That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're like, well, what will I say? What will I proclaim? Just that. I was in the dark. Jesus brought me into the light. Just say that. Just, you, know, I, you can just record it and play it for him if you're really awkward. Jesus brought me out of the dark into the light. That's it. You're proclaimed. And sometimes we're like, well, I don't know all the answers. I don't know all the answers. What people need is a broken, weary people satisfied and sustained by a living Savior going, he's so good. Do you want to know him? He'll save you. You're broken. You're tired, but I'm sustained. That's what you get to say. Stop worrying about right answers. Stop worrying about exegeting all the things. Stop worrying about having the perfect apologetic. If you don't even know what that word means, great. Just stop worrying about having all the answers memorized and start proclaiming one thing, Jesus. Jesus is real. I know him. I encounter him. I feel him. I love him. He loves me, and this is what he's made me. You're like, thank you for this story. I so feel this for this place. Because I've watched, I've watched Mike Shea embrace this. I've watched David Bear embrace this. I've watched Katie Klein embrace this. I can go through all your names if you want me to. The ones that I watch embrace this, they live different. Because they're like, I'm a priest if I'm standing in 7-Eleven, or if I'm standing on a beach in California, or if I'm standing with four kids discipling them to be like Jesus. This is what you are. Let's learn what we are and then live in it. And this is how I'll connect it to where we are in this reading plan. Because once again, the Apostle Paul embraced this. And when we read about the Apostle Paul, anybody like feel like the Apostle Paul in this room? Everybody puts Paul up here. And he should be, he's a little different, a little bit weird with a cat. You know what I mean? God did call him for a specific purpose. He did some incredible things. And so we read Paul in the book of Acts, and really a lot of your Bible is Paul. It's Pauline theology. It's Paul's thoughts. It's Paul's letters. And what we do is we put them here, and then we memorize how many, how many missionary journeys did Paul have? And you're like, I know the answer. I must be spiritual now. That's not the point of how we read the Bible. Those are good things to know. Study the Bible that way. I diagram scripture all the time. I don't know what this was. I'm not doing that while I'm doing it. I color code stuff. I'll cross-reference stuff. I study the word of God with my mind, but I also study it with my heart. 
And so as we, I read Paul this week, we're in the reading plan because we want to be, be a place taught by the Word, led by the Spirit. I was like, how do you look at a people who are weary and need to know who they are and go, well, here's Paul. He did some incredible things. Uh, what about you? Not very helpful, yeah? But then I began to notice some things about Paul. So Paul, pre-Jesus. So Paul is running, murdering Christians. When Stephen, the first martyr, dies, who's standing there giving his assent to it? Paul is. He's like, yeah, this is a good thing. What you need to know about Paul is that, or Saul, everything he was doing, who was it for? Think about it. Who was it for? He was doing it in his own mind for God. Because in his mind, he's a Jewish man. These Christians, this is just another weird prophet. This is just another idol. This is just another false Messiah. We can't have this. Let's kill the Christians. We have to purify our devotion to God. So he's doing it out of devotion to God, running around murdering Christians, throwing them in prison, making havoc, and then what happens to him? He's on the road to Damascus. You can read this in Acts 9. And a great light comes. And a voice from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, well, who are you? I'm Jesus, who you are attacking, who you're betraying, who you are persecuting. And from that moment, for three days, he's blind. And so God sends an angel or a voice to Ananias and says, Ananias, there's a man named Saul on this street. Go pray for him. He's blind, but I'm going to use him to reach the Gentiles. Ananias, I love this conversation. He goes, God, you know who he is, right? I just love that there's that much honesty with God. You know what he does, right? He kills Christians. Why would I go pray for him? Ananias goes, lays hands on him. Something like scales falls off his eyes and he can see again. And then he spends about three years in the wilderness. No one reads that part. They just think he stepped out the door and was like, Apostle. Like, I think he went into the wilderness and was shaped by the Holy Spirit. I think he went into the wilderness and was like, God, form me for your purposes. And when he came out, then he went to Jerusalem and met the other apostles and began to do his thing. Now, I think he probably preached somewhere in the wilderness period. This is, this is this idea that Paul's conversion is this dramatic moment that I want for every one of you. So when we talk about encounter, I'm talking Saul to Paul kind of stuff. Because pre-Jesus, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knows the law. The dude probably memorized the Old Testament. How you doing? You get to Leviticus and you're like, ew, I don't want to read that anymore. Right? Paul's like, it's my breakfast to just spout off the Torah, man. I love it. You know, like he knows the law. He's got the dangles. He's doing all the things. This is Paul. This is Saul. And then he encounters Jesus, and literally he's like, all that stuff, get rid of it. It's nothing. Jesus is everything. And for a Pharisee, a Pharisee to say that, there's something powerful, there's something tangible, there's something real that happens when men and women encounter Jesus. Encountering Jesus changes everything. I want you to encounter him. I don't want you to know facts about him, because here's what I think I, I, think I know about Saul. He knew the facts. He knew that there's this man named Jesus 
who these men were claiming was the Jewish Messiah. They, he knew that he had probably done some miracles. He knew facts. He didn't know Jesus. And on that road, he met him. And it wasn't figurative. It wasn't like, I think maybe there was a power there. It was literally knock you off your horse, blind you, and change the entire course of your life. If you meet Jesus, nothing stays the same. Do you want to meet him? Do you want to know him? Me too. Ooh, I like that answer. <laughs> Just a kid's, a kid's, yes, I want to meet him. I want to know him. If we can know God here, why are we waiting till heaven? If we can walk with him here, let's walk with him, church. If we can see people healed, let's do it. Let's pray. Why are we waiting? Because we're living in a past identity. We're living as if we're dead and unchosen and unholy, but we have been made holy, chosen by God, and filled with his spirit. Let's encounter Jesus and lead others to do the same. No matter what with Jesus, this is what I've learned. The first time I met Jesus, I was on an island in Tennessee, but I met with Jesus this morning, and it was just as good. Every time I sit down for my quiet time, I stop calling it a quiet time because that becomes a checkoff. Every time I sit down in the morning, I go, God, I'm not leaving until I feel you. I love him. I love being with Jesus. There's nothing better on earth. I don't care how many drugs you've done. I've done them all. I don't care how many drinks you drink. I've drank a lot of them. I don't care how many jobs you get that give you hundreds of thousands of dollars and all the vacations to all the places. Nothing. No thing compares to Jesus. Nothing. I've also walked some pretty low valleys, some depression, some dying dads of cancer. Watched, I've held kids as they've died in hospitals. I've walked into rooms with dead five-year-olds. I've done a lot of dark stuff. And Jesus, even in that, is good and sustains. So what are we doing with Jesus here? Are we playing with him? Are we disregarding him? Or do we know his word? Or are we letting it change us? So what I'd like to do is challenge you to be like Paul. And you're like, be like Paul? He's the apostle. Well, on some level, like I said, he's here. But I think the Spirit of God's in you too. And I actually think you have the same word of God that he was using. He was just using the Old Testament and writing the New. So what I want to do, I want to read one big segment of Scripture and challenge you to three things, and then we'll, we'll eat hot dogs and hamburgers. Yeah. In the book of Acts, if you go to Acts 20, go to verse 17. I chose this partly because it's the only part where Paul speaks directly to Christians and not to non-Christians. And he's speaking to the Ephesian elders. So he calls the Ephesian elders because he knows he's going to go to, he's going to, go to Rome and he's going to die. So he thinks, and he does. And so he gets them together to tell them a few last things. And so think about this. If, if you are leaving your house tomorrow and you're never going to return and you only have this much time in the Bible or a letter to tell them some really important stuff, what do you tell your kids and wife as you walk out the door, man? What's the last thing you want them to remember? What do you say? 
be good. Like, what do you say? Mind your mom. Like, I don't know what, like, and so you have Paul who is literally from the moment he met Jesus, walked from town to town to town, and all he does is he walks, looks around, and he goes, hey, that's an idol. Hey, that's not true. Hey, let me proclaim the truth to you. Jesus, he proclaims the excellencies of Jesus, and every town he goes in, you know what happens to him? Persecution, beating, stoning. He has to get lowered out of a, through a hole in a wall in a basket. That's kind of humiliating as a man. Like, that's a basket. I can't really do it. There. So this is Paul's life. He toils and he works and he gets tired, but he goes, Jesus is worth it. Jesus has given me everything, therefore I will give Jesus everything. This is the motto of Paul, in my opinion. Jesus gave me everything and used me, so I will give him everything and he can use me however. And so he gets the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 17, and I'm going to read till 38, which is, we're just going to read the Bible together. Is that okay if a Bible church does that? Crazy. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church, and when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. For from the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will or counsel of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with, bought with his own blood. I, now, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. This is Paul's farewell sermon, farewell speech to the church in Ephesus. And like I said, it's the one part of Acts where he's speaking to Christians. 
And so as he speaks to these Christians, you begin to see the heart of the apostle, the heart of Saul to Paul, that they would live in these things. And he's declaring who he is, and he's declaring almost what he hopes they will be. And and I'm going to do them fast, because I want to get back into worship, and I want to get back into praying for each other. But I, I identified three. There's a bunch. But his first statement is, I have been faithful to do what Jesus told me to do. He actually says it, I think, in verse 24. I just want to do what God's called me to do. And if I'm faithful to that, I'm good. I'll put it into question for you. What has Jesus called you to do? And you can go big on it, like proclaim the excellencies of him who saved you out of darkness. That's, that's a calling. That's the thing he's asked you to do. But when I say that to you, if we sat at talk about what has Jesus called you to do? And some of you, you're, you, you are under a weight that Satan is manipulating. Because not everything that is of God has your name on it. Now what I used to do as a young Christian, I would run to every meeting, every ministry, and burn myself out. I still do it. So we're all works in progress, yeah? And then I learned really a moment where God crushed all that in me, and he said, this is what I want you to do. This is my call on your life. So Paul constantly leaned back and go, I know that God told me to go to the Gentiles and proclaim the gospel to him. So what did Paul do? He went to the Gentiles and he proclaimed the gospel to them. In my own life, I've watched this on my wife's life. She was a nurse practitioner. God said to her, you will homeschool our kids. And so guess what she did? Has it always been easy? No. It's, it's hard, but this is what I, I've heard her say three or four times. I know God told me to do it. What has God told you to do? And if you're like, he didn't tell me anything, you're just not asking or not listening. Ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? Because really, Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians, what is required of stewards is that they be faithful. So when we talk about being kingdom kids or being a part of the adopted sons and daughters, the holy nation, the chosen people, we're talking about being stewards of things that aren't ours. It's not your nation. It's not your people. It's not your Holy Spirit. It's not your gift. It's not your word. It's his. So in everything in our lives, what we're doing is we're holding it open-handed. My kids, God, I'm holding them on loan for you. My money, God. I'm holding it as a steward. How would you have me use it? Now, stewards, it's the same idea like if you had a money manager and you went to them and you gave them your money and said, hey, I want you to invest this here, 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 and here. And then they do it, right? And then the market falls. Do you get mad at the money money manager or yourself? Some of you are like, yeah. Yeah, I do. No, you told them what to do. So some of you are living under this weight, but God has given you guys precious gifts. Every Christian in here has the Holy Spirit, so there's a deposit there. Every one of you has a gift, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. There's a deposit there. All of you have talents. Some of us are better at other things than others. Some of you, if right now I was like, will you get up here and teach? You would rather vomit and drink it. That was gross. That just came out of my youth ministry brain. I apologize. Don't soundbite that. That's good. 
You know what I mean? So that's not a natural thing you can do. But some of you, when I say, hey, I want you to build a wall over there for homeless people, you'd be like, I got that. And I wouldn't because I'd electrocute myself. Like that, it just wouldn't be good. So when we look at, okay, God has made you a steward of something. Are you stewarding it? Are you being lazy? Are you being apathetic? What has God called you to do? And don't carry weights that don't need to be carried because this is what I've learned about God's calling. Success as a servant is identifying what God has called you to and being completely faithful in it. That's success as a servant. Master, what do you want me to do? I'm going to give everything I can to do it. And there's seasons where God's called me to do different things. Sometimes it's be this lead guy. Sometimes, right now, I feel the call of God to sit in that prayer room and pray, which is why... How far away is California? 2,000 miles? That might be too much. I don't know. On a picnic table in California, I start weeping and praying for you. What's God called you to do? He can use you if you'll answer, and you'll do it, and you'll be faithful. Because what I've also learned about God and his callings is God can do more with a faithful few years you have than 10,000 years of your life. Be faithful in the little stuff. The little stuff. The being a good wife and husband, God sees that. And he actually talks about it in his word. Raise godly kids. That sometimes feels really small and insignificant, does it not? Go to work and work hard. <gasps> what? I was once the employee of the month for three months in a row at Menards. You know why? I didn't do drugs. I showed up every day, and I worked hard. That's it. And they were like, what's different about you? Well, I was like, I love Jesus, but I just work. So stop over-spiritualizing this thing. Work hard as if you're doing it unto God. Spend your money as if he loaned it to you. Honor God in all things as if you are a royal priest who's taking humanity and bringing them to God. It's so much fun when I live life that way. When I zone in on me, and I'm like, life's about gas prices, and what kind of car, and if I'm going, it, I hate life then. When life is caught up in the glory, and the presence, and the purposes of God, there's meaning galore in it. So be a servant, identify what God wants you to do, and then go build it. Be faithful in it. If I had you close your eyes, and I thought about doing this, picture the moment you get to heaven. And Jesus grabs your face. He says, I love you. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's a moment to live for. That's a moment to live for, is it not? So how you're living now will it lead to that moment. How you're living now, are you being faithful to the call of God on your life that when that moment comes, he grabs you and goes, well done, good and faithful servant. That's servanthood, faithfulness. Not grandeur, not I got it all figured out. I, was, I did what I was supposed to do. The second thing I see from Paul's life is he says, I told the truth. He says it twice, actually, in verse 20 and 27. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul saw himself as a truth proclaimer, a Christ proclaimer, not a theologian. J.I. Packer said, Paul, in his own estimation, was not a philosopher, not a moralist, not the world's wisest man, but simply Christ's herald. 
Paul's royal master had given him a message to proclaim, and his whole business, therefore, was to deliver the message with exact and studious faithfulness. He added nothing, altered nothing, omitted nothing. He goes so far as to say, your blood is not on me, because I've told you everything you need to know to walk in godliness, and now my conscience is clean and free. I'll ask a question. Have you been clear with your friends and family about God's word to them? Now, some of you, you've heard this message, and you're like, I just want to go hit my uncle with the Bible. I want you to notice about Paul's delivery. Paul says in verse 19, I was with you day and night with... Is it on the screen? That makes it hard for you to answer. Is it, I don't even know if I put it in there, but he says it. He says, I did not cease to admonish you night and day with tears. You ever wept over your family? Instead of angrily yelling at them that they must get justified in the sight of God by repentance through faith, have you ever wept over them? Have you ever begged them with tears day and night to come to the living fount of living water where Jesus is? Have you wept over unsaved people in your life? And I'm, I'm realizing there was years of my life where I didn't. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it was like, yeah, people are going to hell. And I was like, kind of callous. And then the more I've gotten closer to Jesus, the more my heart breaks. Are we going to be a people that would be clear with the people in our life? And not in a harsh, angry way, but in the way Paul did, with tears. You have to know him. It's the only way. And they might not like you. In fact, I found most people don't like it when you tell them the truth. But this is what I'll also notice from my trip to California. As we drove through the city of San Francisco, there was all these places called spirituality centers. And I was like, I asked my brother who lives there, I said, what are those? Because they had like, like, it was like Chinese lettering and then like weird lettering. And it just said, come on into the spirituality center. And I was like, what happens in there? And he was like, oh, you know, like the hmm, huh thing. I was like, I don't know that, but is that what happens in there? And then you would go uh, two blocks down and there'd be an Episcopal church. And on the outside, it would say things like Jesus changes with a pride flag. And so everywhere I went around San Francisco, I was like, when did we decide that the truth's not the truth? And when, are, when, is, the tr- when is the church of Jesus going to come back to his word and begin to say it? Not how it's been said, because what we've done is we've started to punch people and go, Jesus loves you. That'd be really loving of me, right? Every time I told Anna I loved her, I was like, love you! <laughs> I might happen in like a playground environment in elementary school. That doesn't fly in the world. So I'm not talking about Haiti. I'm talking about truth. I'm talking about God has said that friendship with the world is enmity, is <laughs> actually a fight with him. That's James. That if you are a participant in these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we have whole churches and denominations going, participate! Involve yourself to actually celebrate these things. And then we don't think God's like, no. When, when are we going to tell our family, when are we going to tell the people around us that, yeah, condemnation's real. Wrath is real. Hell is real. That's why grace is amazing. 
And here's what I know. Even saying what I just said, some of you won't want to stay here because you'll think, oh, no, here we go again. They're going to hate on the gays. And all. No, no, no. I'm just going to stand on this before I stand with popular opinion. This is what Paul did, and it got him beaten. It got him run out of towns. I'm not asking what the world's saying. I said, what does this say about sexuality? What does this say about marriage? What does this say about men and women? What does this say to a people and a world that are broken? And it says a lot different things than what I was seeing on the streets of San Francisco. I would say on this point, one last thing, and they're not mine. Charles Spurgeon, everybody know who Charles Spurgeon is? Prince of Preachers. I've read this before. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. Let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. If it's going to happen, let it be with our weeping and our bodies saying, no, don't go farther. They'd have to step over me. But that's not the case a lot of times because what happens in me is I'm like, fine, get, get rebellious towards God. But what Charles Spurgeon did and what Paul did was I weep, I plead, don't go there. It will lead to your destruction and there is life in Jesus. Do you tell the truth? What you'll have to know about our world is they don't know what the truth is. In fact, right now, postmodernism is almost at its termination point. Do you know what postmodernism is? Postmodern thought is this, and it's real simple. You can have a truth, and I can have a truth, and they can be exact polar opposites, and they can live, cohabitate just fine. Your truth's your truth, my truth's my truth. So if I say I'm a cat, that's my truth. Meow. And then so what you do is you, all the devil has done is convince the world that there's not definable truth, but there's truth. There's reality. There is a God in heaven who loves humanity enough to send his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And if they don't believe in him or hear about him because his church isn't living in their identity, then he's got them. And Satan will have no more of this town. We have to know who we are so we can proclaim who he is, so that Satan will not have them. Do you tell them the truth? They won't like you. You won't get invited to parties. They're not going in the backyard with your friend that's living in that relationship if you tell them God does not condone this. But maybe you'll save their soul. Tell them the truth. Speak the truth. Not with a big stick, but with humility and brokenness. And if they beat you, go, yes, that's okay. Third, I directed people's attention toward Jesus, not towards me. This is Paul's third thing. Number one, I did what Jesus told me to do. Number two, I told the truth even when it got me beat. And number three, I always wanted people to notice Jesus and not me. So Paul, in his last speech to the Ephesians, he's not going, remember me. Hey, wasn't I awesome? You remember that handkerchief thing with the sick people? Wow, am I right? That's not Paul. 
Paul's going, cling to the truth of Jesus Christ. Have faith in him. He hasn't abandoned you. Look at him. Follow him. I'm going to Rome to die because he told me to, and he's good. The end, the, the residuals off my life. When I leave a room, when I leave this world, when I leave this church one day, I don't know if it ever will happen. If I'm here the rest of my life, I want the thing you walk away going, Jesus is amazing. The Son of God is beautiful. He is the fascination of heaven. All the earth looks to him and goes worthy. He is worthy. And when we direct people's attention towards Jesus, beautiful stuff happens. So Paul says it like this, I serve the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. And typically when we think of leaders or apostles or anointed men and women, we think strong, broad-shouldered, powerful, assertive people. Paul goes, I wasn't any of that. I wept as I talked to you. I was beaten and bruised, and I stayed humble the whole time, and I worked with my hands, and I just did what God told me to do. He directed people's attention towards Jesus, not towards himself. Since I've asked the question every three times, can I say the same thing about you? Do you direct people's attention towards you or towards Jesus? Because you are a part of that chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation. You have been charged to declare and proclaim the excellencies of him who saved you. So are you making a big deal about you? Are you making a big deal about the best deal in the universe? Tim Keller, if you know who that is, Presbyterian Church in New York, he says, I hum a humble and weak person will show a crucified Savior better to a listener than a polished, pulled-together expert. Because that's how it happened for us. We weren't saved by pulling ourselves together, by admitting we were sinners and calling on the one who was pulled apart for us. Does anybody feel weak? Anybody feel a little like the earth is trying to tear you apart? Anybody feel a little burdened and broken? Great. Cracked jars of clay that the glory of God might spill out of. So let me ask those three things again. Can you say those three things? I'm faithful to what God has called me to do. I've told the truth to those in my path, and I direct people's attention towards Jesus, not towards me. And here's the thing. I, don't I can't say these every week. Some weeks I'm like, man, I really got a, little, I got a little prideful in there. And God pulls me back. That's that stone that Vince was talking about. God chips that off of me. I would challenge you, if you read these and you're like, what, if you're, maybe you're like, I don't know if I've been faithful to what Jesus has called me to do, because I don't even know what it is. Guess what your homework is this week? Go get alone with Jesus and ask him what he wants you to do. And if it's weird, go be weird, Christians. We're weird to the earth. We are exiles and sojourners. We are traveling through to a much better destination. What has he called you to do? Go be faithful in it. Mike Bickle, some of you might like him, may not. He started the International House of Prayer. Forty years ago, he said Jesus appeared to him and said, I want you to pray all day, 24-7, worship and prayer. I just listened to an interview with him. Forty years have gone by. Not another visitation by Jesus, just one commissioning by the Lord. Go pray day and night. This is calling. This is faithful servanthood. This is stewardship of the word of God. You told me to do it, I'll do it for 40 years. 
40 years is a long time. I'm not 40 years old yet. If you're over 40, you're old. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> wow, I know. Told the truth to those in my path. Now, here's the thing. When I tell the truth to people on the street, I'm not just whacking them with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm actually asking God in the moment, what do they need to hear? I'm hearing them. At, why do you do what you do? In San Francisco, I asked people I was around, I was like, why do you drink so much? What happens if you don't? Is it really working? Well, no, I just do it because I don't, you know, like, ask questions, love people, but tell them the truth. So some of you are like, well, you can be like, what's his name? Who's the guy that interviewed Jesus? You could just, thanks, wife, for trying to help me. <laughs> when Jesus is getting, Pilate, thank you, thank you, thank you all. Pilate, so <laughs> Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and like, he talks about truth, and then Pilate's like, what is truth, right? Some of you in the room could be like, I don't even know what the truth is. And I'll tell you where you can find it. The Bible. And so your homework might not be, hey, I need a mission from God. Your, your homework would be, go figure out what God says about sexuality. Go figure out what God says about the family. Go figure out what God says about everything. He spoke it into being. He gets to define what it is. And then thirdly, direct people's attention towards Jesus, not towards me. That is hard. Go back to that meet and greet, that place you all love to be. And when they ask you what you do, don't tell them that you're a dentist or a banker. Say, I follow Jesus. Watch the looks you get. They'll be like, what? You do what? I, I follow a Jewish carpenter uh, who's on a throne in heaven. They'll be like, and I'm going to go get another drink. <laughs> uh, this is the lot. You, you are that person if you are in Christ. You are a holy nation. You are a chosen people. You have been made a possession of God. He goes, that one's mine. So if you're at a meet and greet, you're still God's, yeah? If you're at home, you're still God's. If you're in the depths of despair, you're still God's. In a funeral home, one of my favorite places to be, you're like, what? I, I think Jesus doesn't run away from grief. He enters in. And if you want to watch Jesus enter in, go to the places where he does. This is what I want us to be. A people sent out full of our identity that we might save as many people as we can. And here in the end, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? So I want to pray, and we're going to enter into worship. We're just going to run after this Jesus. And I, I don't... Maybe the preaching was horrible, but I hope it stirred this desire in you to give Jesus more, just to give Jesus all. And I'll say this as we enter into worship, because I'm a long-winded pastor sometimes. Um, before you start singing, can you go get your kids and have them worship Jesus too, after I pray here in a second? I think one of the moments that, that kind of marks me is I was like, God, I'll give you everything. And as soon as I said that, he began to identify places in me that I wasn't, where my heart was divided, where I wasn't giving him my full affection or my full attention. And so uh, I'll read the words of Paul again out of a different book, Philippians, because some of you might be saying, I want to follow Jesus, but I love comfort. So I'm going to do that, 
instead of this Jesus thing. Some of you, I want to do what Jesus says, but I really want to live here. And I want to own that. So I'll put this Jesus thing on hold for a bit. I really want to follow Jesus, but I really, what I really want is to be with her. And so what I want to put in your mind is the words of Paul in Philippians. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So God, I just pray that you would teach us the surpassing worth of Jesus. And surpassing his everything is underneath that desire. And I thank you, once again, you're not mad at anybody here, but you do call us to greater things. And you're so gentle how you do it. So Holy Spirit, would you come gently reveal? Would you reveal the spots where maybe we're saying, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere, but our hearts are divided? So everybody in the room, I just want you to give full attention to Jesus. He's very real. The Jesus that Paul encountered on the road is the Jesus that still is alive on a throne today. And you can encounter him. And he can move and touch and speak. And I just want you to ask him, if it's some of those, what, what do you want me to do, God? I want to be faithful to what you want, Jesus. What do you want me to do? Or maybe the idea of telling the truth to your family and your neighbors is terrifying. You tell them that and say, God, what do you want me to say to, what should I say to them? So Lord, we just give you the room and that you by your spirit would stir us up to repent, to praise, to worship, to give all to Jesus. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. So I'm going to leave you sitting before God, and we're just going to enter into worship, and you are free to stand, sit, kneel, leave, come get prayer, respond in giving your life to Jesus, come and ask God, I want more. We're just going to be a response to the living Savior. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.